The judgment in Johnny Depp v. Amber Heard is final, and now Amber Heard plans to appeal, but there are still a lot of questions about the case and about what will happen leading up to that appeal. I'm Anjanette Levy, and welcome to the latest edition of Law and Crime Sidebar Podcast. We hope uh, that you're having a great day, and thanks so much for joining us. Uh, on Friday of last week, I was in court in Fairfax County, Virginia, and this was really a hearing that was a formality. This is where Judge Karate actually uh, entered the final judgment for the defamation lawsuit between Johnny Depp and Amber Heard. You may recall that the jury awarded Johnny Depp $15 million in damages. $10 million of that was compensatory damages. Uh, the other $5 million was punitive, but the $5 million in punitive damages, that's actually capped at $350,000 per state statute. So uh, Johnny Depp can only get $10,350,000. On the other side, uh, Amber Heard, uh, she won one of her claims against Johnny Depp, and that had to do with statements made by Adam Waldman, his attorney, uh, to the Daily Mail back in 2020. And Amber Heard was awarded $2 million in compensatory damages by the jury on that count. Uh, however, she was not awarded any punitive damages. So uh, I wanted to talk a little bit about what happened in court on Friday. It was a brief hearing, but Judge Askarati, uh, no nonsense as usual. She has had this case for a long time. Uh, she went through um, what was going to happen that day. Elaine Bredehoff, the attorney for Amber Heard, wanted to file a bunch of post-trial motions and wanted to, the judge to schedule a hearing to hear these post-trial motions. And Judge Askarati was very firm. She said, we are not having a hearing on any of this. If you want to file motions, I will read them and decide on the papers. And she told Elaine Bredehoff basically that she knows that's not how it works. She said, I am the chief judge of this court and have been uh, for some time, and we're not doing this. So she was not um, giving her any wiggle room whatsoever. There was also discussion about Amber Heard having to file what's called a suspension bond. And that is uh, so that the the judgment is essentially stayed uh, during the appeal. So Johnny Depp wouldn't be able to pursue the judgment pending the appeal. But in order to do that, Amber Heard has to post $10.35 million. She has to kind of hand that money over to the court. And then interest on that accrues annually at a rate of 6%. So uh, there was some discussion about that back and forth. And Judge Askarati basically told Elaine Bredehoft, this is the procedure. You have to file the bond, and, and that's it. There's no discussion. But Elaine Bredehoff said she wants to address this in post-trial motions. Johnny Depp, for his part, is actually um, kind of objecting to some of the things uh, having to do with the trial. We don't know if he's appealing yet. Uh, that hasn't been stated. However, um, he filed an exhibit with the judgment outlining his objections to the verdict and the judgment. So joining us to break all of this down is Gene Rossi. He is a former federal prosecutor and practices in Virginia. So Gene, welcome back to Sidebar. Thanks for coming on. Uh, very briefly, tell us uh, your reaction to what uh, we've reported about Judge Askarati with um, Elaine Bredehoft in court on, on Friday. She basically said, I've had this case for 18 months. We had a six week trial. I'm not having a hearing. Well, Fairfax County, uh, led by this judge, 
uh, should be called uh, itself the rocket docket. <clears throat> this was a six-week trial, a lot of witnesses, a lot of exhibits, but this hearing, uh, uh, Anjanette, you hit the nail on the head. It was very brief or relatively brief. That's because she wants to close the file on this case, enter the final order, have her put up her bond for appeal and move on. If they want to file post-trial motions, she'll read them. She'll probably deny them, but she's not going to have a hearing. She means business. She's a former Marine. And she doesn't take any suffer fools gladly. So that doesn't surprise me what happened uh, Friday of last week. Gene, with the judgment that was filed, Ben Chu uh, filed a uh, an exhibit. He called it Exhibit A, and it listed a number of bullet points as to why the DEP team disagrees uh, with the uh, finding uh, of finding Johnny Depp liable for Adam Waldman's statements. One of those bullet points basically says that, um, you know, they say that this is contrary to the law and unsupported by the facts. The fact that Adam Waldman made this statement uh, to the Daily Mail where he called that second 911 call on May 21st of 2016 an ambush and an hoax. He said that the first 911 call didn't work out for them. So they spilled a little wine and roughed up the place and then placed that second 911 call uh, and they found that the, or at least the DEP team finds that or feels that the $2 million award is excessive. So your thoughts uh, on Exhibit A and those two bullet points in particular? Well, I have two thoughts on Exhibit A. One, it incorporates all the motions and filings and arguments in limine that were made. So it's that's sort of uh, unremarkable, but it addresses that one defamatory statement that was found in Ms. Hurd's favor uh, regarding, I call it the hoax. And this Exhibit A tries to persuade the judge that the jury's finding was not supported, was not supported by anything that was in evidence. This is a weak argument. I, I frankly think that Exhibit A is more a PR piece than a legal piece because the jury made a finding that the hoax was defamatory and what they provide in Exhibit A really should not move the judge and move the needle. I want to move on now and get your thoughts just briefly on an email that was released on Friday. And I have to give credit uh, where credit is due. Jackson Bryan from the Movie Myths and Monsters podcast, they were the ones who actually obtained this email and released it. And it's an email from Adam Waldman, who was uh, on the case, the defamation case, until he was removed by the ca uh, from the case by a judge uh, after he released some audio recordings that were uh, subject to a protective order. But in that email, he basically says that Rocky Pennington, who was present that night, um, that her husband at the time, Josh Drew, who we heard from during the trial, had told him uh, that Rocky was hiding in the penthouse that night. Uh, that she didn't just enter when Amber wanted her to come in. He's he's making this sound like he has information um, that this was indeed, as he claims, a hoax. So why didn't we hear more about this during the trial? That, that befuddles me. This is a this the text of this email, if it had come out on trial, goes to the heart of uh, Mr. Depp's defense. Waldman had a good faith basis for believing that that second 911 call, if not the whole incident in the penthouse, was just a hoax. 
So that goes to the jury instruction on that one defamatory statement that was found in favor of Ms. Heard. Why this did not come out at trial, either this email or this conversation, I don't understand. Uh, and all I can say is this, it's too little too late. It's not going to change anything. It obviously did not with this judge. Well, uh, Gene Rossi, former federal prosecutor, attorney in Virginia, thanks so much for your expertise and your time. As always, we appreciate it. Thank you. This week, Jeffrey Epstein's former girlfriend will be sentenced in federal court in the Southern District of New York for her role in procuring young women for Jeffrey Epstein. And there's been some news uh, that's come out over the weekend regarding Ghislaine Maxwell and the fact that she has been placed on suicide watch uh, leading up to her sentencing. So joining us to talk about this is Adam Klasfeld. He covered the Ghislaine Maxwell federal trial gavel to gavel. He is also the managing editor of lawandcrime.com. So Adam, welcome back to Sidebar. Uh, first of all, your thoughts on this whole filing that came out over the weekend saying that uh, Ghislaine Maxwell has been placed on suicide watch. Well, thank you for having me, Anjanette. Well, this isn't the first time that Ghislaine Maxwell has been placed on uh, suicide watch, as, I'm, as I understand it. Uh, obviously, after the death of Jeffrey Epstein, everyone at the Bureau of Prisons has been on guard uh, looking to avoid any sort of repeat. And just to kind of make listeners aware of what Suicide Watch means, uh, her filing goes into it. She's basically forced to avoid wearing anything that can be used to harm herself. And one of the items explicitly mentioned is a suicide smock, uh, something that can't be uh, ripped or, or torn in any way. And one of the early cases that I covered as a journalist was the court-martial of Chelsea Manning. The same thing went up uh, that in a high-profile case where it would be terrible and uh, and if the DO, in that case, the DOD, but in this case, the Bureau of Prisons, uh, allowed someone in custody to die before a trial or sentencing, mm -hmm. they what we find is sometimes they take dramatic measures. And that's what Ghislaine Maxwell is saying happened here. She says that she is not suicidal, but she was placed on this heavily watched status that it's essentially uh, constant around the clock monitoring, being forced to wear this deeply uncomfortable smock and anything that would prevent her from harming herself. Uh, just uh, it, and when she says it's not necessary, so she has asked for a a uh, excuse me a uh, delay of her sentencing because she said that this status has compromised her ability to prepare for sentencing to review her legal materials. Um, we'll see what happens with that as we speak. The judge hasn't ruled, but then again, she hasn't formally asked. She basically said. If this doesn't get fixed soon, I might need to request this. Um, and as we've seen in recent filings, uh, the judge got right on the phone with BOP and kind of made sure that she had access to the materials that she needs to review in order to prepare for sentencing on Tuesday. 
What do you expect at sentencing on Tuesday? Because I, I don't think that the judge is going to delay the sentencing. That's just my feeling. But what what do you expect? Do you think that the judge, uh, Judge Nathan, will max her out? As you said, Anjanette, I don't think that the judge is going to postpone her sentencing. Of course, anything can happen. We'll, we'll be monitoring the filings. But she's run a very tight ship. And what she has before her are two sentencing briefings from the defense and from the prosecution. And the prosecution wants her to have a very heavy sentence, somewhere between uh, 30 and 55 years, effectively a life sentence. And uh, Maxwell's defense team basically wants her to get lower than what probation wanted, which is 20 years. Now, what I would expect is that uh, we have seen Ghislaine Maxwell place a very big bet on arguing essentially that she was mistreated in pretrial lockup and she's essentially alleging various forms of unfairness at trial by media. And one thing that's entirely absent that, uh, according to prosecutors, that they note in their sentencing memo is any sense of apparent remorse, that this is something that she is showing a lot of defiance. And she's saying, I'm going to appeal this. And as a result of this appeal, I'm not going to argue certain topics, including her relationship to Epstein. And we've seen the type of arguments that she's been making before in the bail hearings, and those hadn't succeeded. And uh, there's very little reason to expect that the same arguments that failed to get her bond before trial began will suddenly resonate before the judge. But of course, anything can happen. And of course, we'll be monitoring it. Well, Adam Klasfeld, uh, managing editor of lawandcrime.com and expert on all things Ghislaine Maxwell. Thanks for being on. We appreciate it. Thank you for having me. Before we could get started, I had to go to the men's room. So I walked through the entire shop, right, which you have to do to get to the men's room. I went to the men's room. I came out uh, with the uh, uh, one one aide, one aide uh, actually a campaign manager, and uh, and with a group of people that started to gather around me, very very friendly people, including a, an ex a first grade detective, and a woman who works for the Department of Parks. About a third of the way through, I got hit on the back as if a boulder hit me. Uh, it knocked me forward a step or two. Uh, it didn't knock me down, uh, but it hurt tremendously. That's former New York City Mayor Rudy Giuliani, also former U.S. Attorney Rudy Giuliani, uh, talking about what he says was an assault that happened with him on Staten Island when he was out with his son, Andrew, who uh, is running for office and he was campaigning with his son. And joining us to talk a little bit about this is Matthew Mangino. He is a former prosecutor. And uh, Matthew, welcome to Sidebar. I want to know, uh, first of all, your thoughts on this. This was captured by surveillance video and released, and it shows um, Rudy Giuliani standing there with a group of people. And Rudy Giuliani says in this video that uh, this man came up to him and uh, slapped him on the back and said, hey, what's up, scumbag, and made some comments about Roe v. Wade being uh, overturned by the Supreme Court. So your feelings uh, about the video and Rudy Giuliani's claims. 
Well, I think Rudy Giuliani said that he was uh, tremendously injured uh, by this slap on the back. And, you know, I think it's and that he was in substantial pain. And I think, uh, you know, he really wasn't hurt by this. Uh, maybe his feelings were hurt. Uh, but I think when you look at it, um, you know, it's hard to justify that this is an assault. Uh, there are different levels of assault in New York. But but again, um, you know, for this to fit into one of those um, specific subsections of the law, criminal law in New York, I think is a bit of a stretch. Yeah, and we don't have criminal charges for hurt feelings, as you said. So, um, what I mean, what if there was some sort of criminal charge to come out of this? I mean, what would it be? I mean, this seems like I don't know the exact statutes in New York. Would this be something like a simple assault, or what would you call this? Well, yeah, I mean, this this would be at best uh, a simple assault as it's characterized in a number of different states. I think in New York. This may fall under uh, what would be a third degree class A misdemeanor, uh, which is when someone intended to hurt another person. Again, you know, that's even a stretch. Um, you know, was this intention, was it the intention of this uh, employee in this store, um, you know, to actually hurt Rudy, Rudy Giuliani or just maybe try to embarrass him, um, which, which he did. Uh, obviously, and, and uh, you know, Rudy, uh, by his statements, obviously knows what the law is in New York and is trying to make it, uh, you know, to get to that point where he meets those thresholds under the statute, you know, substantial pain uh, and things like that. Uh, but again, it's an intent to harm, as I understand the New York law. Matthew, what are your feelings on, uh, or I'm sorry, let me start that over. Well, it appears that uh, Rudy Giuliani is taking quite a bit of heat on Twitter and other social media platforms over this claim. Um, you know, he's saying he could have easily been knocked to the ground. He's 78 years old. Uh, so it sounds like, Matthew, you don't expect anything to come of this in the criminal realm. Uh, again, I think it would, you know, if we went around, um, you know, and I'm a former prosecutor, you know, eight years I spent as the district attorney in a county in Western Pennsylvania, if we went around and, and prosecuted every single case where somebody uh, slapped somebody on the back, uh, you know, with the intent of maybe embarrassing that person or, or, you know, making a statement to that person, I mean, we'd be spending a lot of time in court uh, prosecuting those types of cases. You know, what we always uh, should remember, especially with regard to the criminal law, is that there has to be some sort of intent. There has to be some sort of intent to harm. And I don't see where this individual walking up behind Rudy Giuliani and slapping him on the back, even if it was a, a rather aggressive slap on the back, had any intent to harm Rudy Giuliani. Certainly it wasn't his intent to knock a 78-year-old man to the floor and, as Rudy Giuliani said, uh, possibly kill him. I mean, this uh, is, is a case that is better off uh, left alone by prosecutors in New York. Matt Mangino, thanks so much for being with us today. Thank you, Anjanette. 
And that's it for this edition of Long Crime Sidebar Podcast. Thanks so much for joining us. Sam Goldberg and Michael Deininger are producers of this podcast. Bobby Zoki is our YouTube manager and Alyssa Fisher is our booking producer. You can find this podcast on Apple, Google, Spotify, and wherever else you get your podcasts. We are also on YouTube. I will see you next time. 